We need to hear that over and over and over again. Fear not tomorrow. Tomorrow is one. And uh, we're going to jump into Revelation in just a minute, but I want to welcome you, especially if you're a guest with us. We're glad that you're here. Um, and I, we pray every week, Lord, would you send those here uh, that need to hear what you have for them today. And so you might have been coming here for 50 years, or you might be a first-time guest with us, but I believe God has something for all of us and I'm looking forward to jumping into his word together in just a moment. And for those of you who are online, we're thankful for this technology that helps us connect with you. We know many of you will connect with us first online before you ever step foot here. And uh, we look forward to getting to know you when you are able to make it here in person. Um, we're in the second week of a series on Revelation chapter 12 through 22. Uh, earlier this year, uh, we had a series from chapter 1 through 11, and if you missed that series, you can jump in, go back and watch it online, they're there on our website, uh, but we are trying to talk about this book not in light of kind of how we've seen it in the past. Some of us, we've thought about the book of Revelation as this kind of code to crack and, you know, uh, charts on the wall and, hey, this is going to happen and then this is going to happen and watch out for this. And when that happens, you know that's next. And um, we're really trying to look at it uh, not as a code to crack, but how it was originally heard from the first uh, readers of the letter to the seven churches in Asia Minor uh, and to the early church, this understanding that this is a book of hope for God's people when times are hard, uh, that it is a, a book of discipleship uh, where it is really trying to help disciples and followers of Jesus stay true to Jesus when things are hard and when things are difficult. Um, and we talked uh, last week about Revelation chapter 12 and how there's this dragon uh, which uh, represents and points to the devil or Satan and how this dragon wanted to destroy the woman who represented God's people and, and wanted to destroy uh, the child which represented Jesus. And, and we just talked about how one of the things that Revelation 12 and 13 in particular it does is it kind of pulls the curtain back and we think, oh, you know, when you read the, the gospel narratives and you read about how Herod was trying to kill the baby Jesus and is ready to kill, uh, what, what Revelation 12 does is it pulls the curtain back and it says, hey, you thought Herod was the problem. You thought Herod was the enemy, but guess what? There was an enemy behind the enemy. There was a dragon who was really trying to devour this child. Um, and, and we begin to realize that maybe the enemies that we thought are our enemies are not truly our enemies, but there is an enemy behind our enemies. And uh, we talked about how not only did he want to destroy the, the woman, the people of God, and destroy this child Jesus, but when he was not able to do that, the dragon turned his attention on the followers of Jesus, the church. And so what we're going to look at today in Revelation 13 is specifically how the dragon wants to attack the church. How does the dragon choose to attack the church? And we see that the dragon doesn't do this directly, uh, but the dragon kind of uses two puppet powers, if you will, um, two beasts uh, to attack uh, the church and, and the children uh, and the followers of Jesus. And so we see in Revelation chapter 13, verse 1, then I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. And then uh, in verse 11, it says, And then I saw another beast come out 
of the earth. And so uh, the dragon and these two beasts really kind of represent this unholy trinity, if you will, this mockery of the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Um, Satan is always trying to mimic always trying to offer a second best version. And, and, and really what we see in this dragon and these two beasts is this kind of mockery, this uh, second best hopeful attempt to try to live up to the triune God of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to jump right into Revelation chapter 13. And we're just going to look at the first 11 verses and this first beast Uh, to begin with. It says this, then I saw a beast rising out of the sea. It had seven heads and 10 horns and 10 crowns on its horns. And and if you're new to church, this is really weird for you. If you, if you, if you haven't been to church in a while, like uh, it'll be all right. We'll get, we'll explain it a little bit, but this is, this is weird. You know, if it makes you feel any better, church people feel just as weird about this. Uh, so some people are like, I've been in church all my life. That's still weird. Um, so, uh, but there's, you know, they were written on each head were names that blasphemed God. This beast looked like a leopard, but it had the feet of a bear and the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave the beast this one, uh, the dragon gave the beast his own power and throne and great authority. And I saw that one of the heads of the beast seemed wounded beyond recovery, but the fatal wound was healed. And the whole world marveled at this miracle and gave allegiance to the beast. And they worshiped the dragon for giving the beast such power. And they also worshiped the beast. Who is as great as the beast, they exclaimed. Who is able to fight against him? And then the beast was allowed to speak great blasphemies against God. And he was given authority to do whatever he wanted for 42 months. And he spoke terrible words of blasphemy against God, slandering his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. And the beast was allowed to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And he was given authority to rule over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all the people who belong to this world worshiped the beast. They are the ones whose names are not written in the book of life before the world was made. The book that belongs to the lamb who was slaughtered. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Anyone who is destined for prison will be taken to prison. Anyone destined to die by the sword will die by the sword. This means that God's holy people must endure persecution patiently and remain faithful. This is God's word for us today, and we are thankful for it. So, Who is, what is this beast of the sea? Uh, What does this beast represent? Are we one day going to actually see this beast kind of come out of the water? And, you know, is it going to be like, you know, a Godzilla movie or, you know, one of these, you know, movies that have some creatures coming out of it? No, like this is symbolic. And, And as we've been talking about through this whole series, 
all of these symbols point to something else, right? That's the nature of a symbol. Remember, there was a, the dragon was a symbol that pointed to Satan or the devil, our great enemy of our soul. There was, there, there's not this actual dragon, um, but this dragon represents uh, Satan who really does want to destroy us. And these beasts represent something. And this first beast in particular represents something, points to something. And just to kind of help us with this, um, it's almost like a political cartoon of our day. And so if you think about, if you go back to the 1960s um, and you would have seen a political cartoon that had Uncle Sam wrestling with a big brown bear, right? Um, and instantly, when anybody in the 1960s would have seen a political cartoon of Uncle Sam wrestling with a big brown bear, like if you would have run outside and tried to find that scene, some, you know, silly looking guy with a top hat and, you know, stars and stripes clothes, you know, wrestling with a brown bear, you wouldn't have seen that. Like you couldn't have seen the actual thing happening. But it was happening, right? Uh, Uncle Sam represented America, and the big brown bear represented uh, Russia and all of the, the Cold War that was going on. And so the reason that people in the 60s would have seen a political cartoon like that and been like, oh yeah, I know exactly what that represents, is because they were familiar with the Cold War. They were familiar what was happening in the world. And in the same way, the first hearers of this when they first heard this, they wouldn't have been trying to figure out, now what, who is this, who is this beast? What's going on with this beast? They would have instantly, because of their familiarity with the Old Testament, because of their familiarity with Daniel chapter 7, they would have instantly understood exactly what was being pointed to in Revelation 13. And the reason we don't is we're not as familiar with our Old Testament as we need to be. Um, but in Daniel chapter 7, and so this, is, I, this just helps you if you're new to church or you've been around a church, don't get lost in all the weird pictures. The weird pictures point to something, all right? There's something behind them. And in Daniel chapter 7, Daniel has a vision of these four beasts that are coming out of the sea. And the beasts in Daniel's vision, in Daniel chapter 7, there's a beast that looks like a lion. And that beast, we find out in the book of Daniel, represents the nation of Babylon. And then there's a beast that comes out of the sea that looks like a bear. And that beast represents the empire of the Medes. And then there's a beast that looks like a leopard. And that beast, uh, according to Daniel, represents... Uh, the Persian Empire, and then there is a fourth beast that really represented the empire of Alexander and, and all that would come with the Greeks after this. And so um, the beast that John describes in Revelation chapter 13 is like this culmination of all of these other beasts. It's like all of the bad stuff of all of these other beasts kind of wrapped into one beast and, and really, the heart of what is trying to be understood is this is like the ultimate superpower, the ultimate of evils. And so if you're a note taker and you're writing down notes, this is the first beast or the first enemy. The beast of the sea is the state. It is human kingdoms that have rejected the living God from the center of their lives. And any time a human kingdom tries to set itself above God, that human kingdom will then try to play God. Let me say that again. Anytime a human kingdom tries to set itself above God, that kingdom will then try to play 
God. And so the first hearers of this in 96 AD, when, when they're reading this, they wouldn't have had to wonder who the beast is. They would have instantly known this sea beast is Rome. And they would have been right. This is absolutely who this was. But it wasn't just Rome. This sea beast also represented all of the kingdoms that set itself up over God before Rome. It, it, it represented Egypt. It represented Assyria. It represented Babylon. It represented any time there is a power that sets itself up and, and says that, that I'm going to have authority and power over that of God. And what's interesting about this is in uh, John... Uh, in Revelation 13, 3, John says that there's one of the heads of this beast that is mortally wounded, but then it's healed, and like, you know, it kind of pops back to like, what is going on with all of that? You know, it's wounded, and then it's healed, and what's happening with this? Um, what's interesting is this mimicry of the language of Revelation chapter 5. When in Revelation chapter 5, John talks about the Lamb of God and all that the Lamb did and who the Lamb is. Again, what Satan is always doing is trying to copy and mimic. And he never does it as well, but he's the second best, really terrible version of, of what God can offer. And so in Revelation 5, 6, it says, I saw a Lamb standing as if slain. In Revelation 13, 3, it says, I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain. In Revelation 5, 9, John says, The lamb purchased men and women from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. In Revelation 13, 7, it says, The beast exercises authority over men and women from every tribe and people and tongue and nation. In Revelation 5.13, John says that he saw the whole universe worship the Lamb. In Revelation 13.4, it says he saw that the whole earth worshipped the dragon and the beast. And, and so what, what is John telling us with this? It, he, he's just trying to say, hey, listen, this beast, this empire's nation states who set themselves up by God, they're really resilient. They're really resilient, and, and there's, there's just going to be one that might fall, and another one's going to pop up and take its place. There's going to be one that looks like it's going to come to an end, and, and there's going to be another one that comes up. And what's interesting is in AD 96, if you would have told the people in Rome, one day Rome won't be here, they'd have been like, that's absurd. Rome is the world. Rome is the whole, like, what do you mean Rome's not going to be here one day? It would have been completely absurd for them to even hear or believe. And, and what John's saying is, hey, listen, one day this, this beast, you know, this particular head's going to not be here, but there's going to be another one to pop up to take its place. It, it's just going to happen over and over and over. It's the leopard and the bear and the lion all over again. And, and what we see in modern times is, is this happens, right? We see that there was the World War II and the Nazis and everything and the atrocities that were going on and, and we kind of, we squashed that and what popped up in its place? Communism. And, and, and it kind of swept over the world and, and then, you know, you kind of think, okay, well that's done and, and then there's all these totalitarian regimes that pop up all over the place and, and there's, you know, nationalism that kind of sweeps across uh, all over and and what we see here is as powerful as this beast seems, 
was people put their hope. And, and what happens is, is people go, well, you know, I guess you're never going to beat this state. It's, it's just, it's, you know, one gets beat and another one pops up in its place and it just kind of looks more bestial than the last. And just like, well, you know, I guess we'll just put our hope in this then because it's always going to be here. But what we see in this, in Revelation 13, is John uses the word given, that authority is given to this beast, that this beast's time is limited. This beast's time is, is very limited. And, and so three times we see that it is given that no authority is, has been given um, that isn't given by God. That, that there is authority, and we see in the book of Romans uh, that the, the state has authority to kind of reign and rule. And, and so when it's done properly, uh, that it's God-ordered order that the state is able to bring. But when the state moves out from underneath God and the state tries to play God, uh, then, then we see all kinds of things that all of a sudden look like a beast. And we see this over and over and over again. But uh, think, about, think about this in John chapter 19, verses 10 through 11. Pilate says this. He says, why don't you talk to me speaking to Jesus? And don't you realize that I have the power to release you or crucify you? And then Jesus said, you would have no power over me at all unless it were given to you from above. John is telling us that there will be beasts all the way down through history. And the people of John's day, they didn't have to wring their hands and try to figure out who the beast was. They knew who the beast was. The beast was Rome. The beast was this empire uh, that longed to be worshipped. In fact, if you remember from the first part of this series, uh, that there, were, there was a requirement for you to pinch uh, incense and say Caesar is Lord and and there was movement towards Caesar worship at this time and and the question was am I going to worship Jesus or am I going to worship Rome am I going to worship Jesus or am I going to put my hope in Caesar but we don't have to guess who this beast is in our day either he rules every time there is an inflated ego and a power play he rules every time one person uses their power to oppress another person. He shows up in every robbery, in every rape, in every racial slur. He shows up every time power is used to destroy the good things that God intends to bring blessings and goodness into this world. The beast shows up in all of these moments. And whenever we put our hope and something other than Jesus to fix all these problems in the world, we have begun to put our hope in the beast. So let me, let me just say this, um, and I know this is going to make some of you nervous. It'll be all right. Um, I'm going to talk about politics for a little bit. Um, some of us in this room lean politically left, and some of us in this room lean politically right. And I just I, I want to say this. The, the political right is right up to a point, and then they become the beast, and they serve the dragon. And the political left is right up unto a point, and then they serve the beast and become the beast and serve the dragon. And, and any time we as Christians say, I'm going to put my hope in a politician 
I'm going to put my hope in the government. I'm going to put my hope in a political system. We have literally begun to do what Revelation 13 tells us not to do, that, that we have begun to worship the beast instead of worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the one who is truly able to redeem and to heal. Um, there, there are so many things that I could say about this. Um, there's, there's a wonderful book. I've recommended it to you. It's in your notes again this week called Discipleship on the Edge, an expository journey through the book of Revelation by Daryl Johnson. I cannot recommend this book to you highly enough. Um, if, if you're saying, hey, I'm really enjoying diving into this book of Revelation. I want more. Um, this is a great resource with so much more. And I just want to read a quote out of this. And before I read it, I want to remind you that I spent 21 years in the military. And I want to remind you um, that I love our nation. All right. Um, and I can probably say some things from the pulpit that some preachers can't, uh, but I dare you to say I'm not a patriot. I dare you to say that I don't love our country, right? I, I spent a year in Afghanistan. I was willing to lay down my life because I love this country and I love the freedoms that we have. Hello. Um, so um, that's... <laughs> um, but I, I, here's, what I, here's what I want you to hear um, in, in Revelation, uh, as, we, as we think about this, uh, it says, Daryl Johnson says this, you realize, of course, that an American disciple of Jesus Christ has infinitely more in common with a Chinese disciple of Jesus Christ than any two Americans or two Chinese who do not follow Jesus Christ. The, the beast which does, uh, that wants disciples of Jesus to put their allegiance toward their own nation over allegiance to one another in Jesus, that is the beast. And I just think, you know, there is, you know, there, these people are the enemy. This is the enemy. That's the enemy. Listen, there is one enemy. It's, it's the dragon. It is Satan. It, he is the enemy. And as brothers and sisters in Christ, we have got to say, hey, we love our country. We love our nation. But we're going to put our allegiance above America to Jesus Christ. And, and there will come a time when we're going to be called uh, to do that more and more. And as much as we love our nation, we cannot point people to politicians. And we can't point people to political systems to bring the answers. Because when we do that, we're literally pointing people to the beast. Instead of pointing people to Jesus, who is the hope of the world. So... Uh, right after all of this, um, he jumps right into the second beast. So if you have your Bibles, uh, we'll just keep going here. And uh, Revelation chapter 13, picking up at verse 11, it says this, Then I saw another beast come up out of the earth. He had two horns like those of a lamb, but he spoke with the voice of a dragon. And he exercised all the authority of the first beast... He exercised all the authority of the first beast, and he required all the earth and its people to worship the first beast, whose fatal wound had been healed. He did astounding miracles, even making fire flash down the, to the earth from the sky while everyone was watching. And with all of the miracles he was allowed to perform on behalf of the first beast, he deceived all the people who belonged to the world, and he ordered the people to make a great statue of the first beast, who was fatally wounded and then came back to life. 
He was then permitted to give life to this statue so that it could speak. And then the statue of the beast commanded that anyone refusing to worship it must die. He required everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on the right hand or on the forehead, and that no one could buy or sell anything without that mark, which was either the name of the beast or a number representing his name. Wisdom is needed here. Let the one with understanding solve the meaning of the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six. Six, six. So the beast of the earth, this third member of this unholy trinity, there's the dragon and then there's the first beast and then there's the second beast, um, is, is pointing towards something else. The earth beast is kind of the, the, the propagandist, if you will, that's trying to get everybody to follow the first beast. So the, the second beast's job is to prop up the first beast, all right? And to get people to worship the first beast and to point people to put their hope in the first beast. Now, if we understand the first beast as state governments and if we understand the first beast as empires that set themselves up over God, and we think, well, what are the things that point to and empower and embolden that first beast? And this uh, is seen here in this passage. The beast makes it difficult to buy and sell and to do business. Um, and unless you have the mark of the beast on your forehead or the mark of the beast on your hands, um, and I know we're going to get to that in a minute. You're so excited. Uh, we're going to talk about that. Uh, some of you are like, oh, he's going to tell us. We're going to know. Um, so in your notes, though, write this down before we get to that. The beast from the earth is dragon-manipulated religious power and institutions. It's dragon-manipulated religious power and institutions. Um, I was wrestling with how to help us understand this. And uh, in God's providence, I was able to watch a terrible movie this week. Um, don't, don't think this was God's providence. I was just kidding about that. It came on TV, and I recorded it a long time ago. And I started watching it um, with one of my sons, and he said, this is so bad, I'm going to leave. Um, and so he left. And I, like, I'm, I was committed. Like, I'm, I'm kind of like, once I'm in, I'm in. Like, I'll, I'll never get these two hours back. They're gone. Uh, but I watched Kevin Costner's Robin Hood movie. Um, and so if you haven't seen it, don't bother. Um, uh, so, you know, it's like Kevin, it was like, you know, Kevin Costner, Morgan Freeman. I mean, there, Sean Connery shows up at the end. Like, with a, I mean, it's like, man, like, the, you know, but it was bad. It was really bad. Um, but I'm really glad I watched it because it's going to help me help us understand how this second beast is uh, dragon manipulated religious institutions and power. Because as I'm watching this movie, I'm the kind of the priest that is the town priest is the one who is propping up the sheriff. And he's the one who's empowering the sheriff. And, and he's the one who is being used uh, to, to kind of lift this sheriff up to a place of power and position. And, and I just got to thinking about through the, through the dark ages and, and through so much of the period of history, particularly how the Roman Catholic Church uh, really used its power to, you know, it was, it was the Pope that is the one who gave power to certain kings and took power and, and said this and that to the kings. And it, it was the religious institutions 
that were actually pointing people to the state, and it was the religious institutions that were actually empowering the first beast of the state governments throughout history, and we can see this over and over and over again. And so um, there are these puppets, these two beasts, which were, were, were being destructive in the world, and, and the second beast, what it does is it says, hey, put your hope in the first beast. The second beast says, put your hope in the state. Put your hope in the government. This is what's going to be best for your grandkids. This is what's going to be best for your life. This is what's going to help your financial situation. Put your hope in these things. And, and anytime someone starts to point you towards something other than Jesus to bring hope and meaning and purpose and value to your life and future generations, that is the second beast. I, I, we just... We need to hear this, and, and I know it's hard for us to hear this, and we don't like to hear this, but this is the, the beauty of the gift of the book of Revelation, and this is why Satan doesn't want us to see the book of Revelation for what it is. Satan doesn't want us to understand that this means something for us today. He wants us to think of this book that's something about the future, and, you know, and it's all about how Apaches are going to one day be you know, really, you know, it's the scorpions are Apaches, the helicopters, and all this other stuff, and, and, and these futuristic things that might mean something, and, and as long as we think this is about the future, we don't realize he's speaking to us today. And, and that we might actually be putting our hope in a beast instead of putting our hope in Jesus. And so um, let's, talk about, let's talk about this mark of the beast. I know you're excited. Here we go. Uh, is it going to be under your hand? Is it going to be like a computer chip? Is it going to be a barcode? Is it going to be, you know, tattooed on your forehead? Satan is smarter than this, right? If, if, some, if all of a sudden there was an announcement that came out that said everyone has to get a tattoo barcode on their forehead and on their right hand before you can buy any groceries, you'd be like, no way, I'm not doing that, I know. You know, like that's not, Satan's not going to be this obvious. This, this is symbolic, and there's, there's meaning to the symbols. And, and if you read a bunch of commentators, they'll tell you that uh, uh, Caesar, uh, Nero uh, Caesar, or Neron Caesar, is if you actually take the letters and you break down the letters and each letter means a number and you add it all up, uh, Neron Caesar, uh, which is kind of the Greek letters for Nero, would come out to 666. Now, uh, you can also figure it out to come out to spell Hitler. You can also spell it out to spell Ronald Reagan, um, who actually at one point uh, bought a house whose address was 666, and they ended up having to change that address for him. Um, so, I mean, there have been people throughout history that have pointed to it and say, oh, look, we figured out the code. 666 is this person, and it's this person, and it's this person. Um, and, and it might be some of those people in a lot of different ways, but what I want us to understand is this is not a code to crack, but it is a symbol that points us to something. And here's, here's the simplest way for us to understand it. Six is one less than seven. You're welcome. <laughs> um, did that work for you? Um, read a bunch of stuff, uh, did a lot of work, read a bunch of commentaries, and wanted to help you with that. Um, so six is one less than seven. Seven is the biblical number for completion and perfection, right? So the, the world was created in seven days. Uh, there was a, the seventh day was the day of rest. And so six is always one shy of completeness. It's one shy of perfection. You say, well, why are there six, six, six? Well, because three is also a biblical number of completeness. 
And so hear this, 666 is complete incompleteness. It's complete imperfection of falling short. And, and again, this is exactly what the dragon and the two beasts always do. They're always trying to be this mockery and this mimicry of this triune God that is good and perfect and whole, and yet they're all, always just short, always just shy, always this, this imperfection, um, never measuring up. In fact, if you take the Greek letters of Jesus' name, and you do the same things that allow you to come up with uh, Nero, which is 666. If you take the Greek letters and you add up the numbers of that, it actually comes to 888, which is perfection, perfection, perfection. It's, it's fully complete, fully complete, fully complete, never fails, never fails, never fails, whereas 666 is always falling short, always falling short, always falling short. And so what we need to understand is that uh, if you read the passage that I pointed you to in my text message last night in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 8, there was a reason in Revelation 13 that we're told the mark of the beast will be on your head and on your hands. And it's in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 8, we see the people of God are told this, listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your foreheads as reminders. So the people of God were told, hey, listen, this God's word is so important tie them to your hands, put them on your forehead. And, and there were many of the, the, the Jewish people that believed this was literal. And so they actually put boxes with scripture on their forehead and, and tied scripture to their hands. And, but God wasn't trying to be literal with this. He was saying, hey, listen, that, that your, my word needs to be on the forefront of your mind. My word needs to so fill your mind that, that you're thinking about it. It's shaping your worldview, that, that my word needs to form your mind and how you think about life, and, and that you would keep my word through your hands and your actions, that the things you do with your hands would be marked by the things that are marking your mind and my word that is shaping you. And so uh, the mark of the beast... It's not some uh, barcode that's going to get you know, burned onto your hand. Um, it, it's not, you're, you're not going to get marked with this one day in the future. If you don't hear anything else I said today, hear this. Some of you are wearing the mark of the beast right now. This isn't a future branding that you're going to get. Some of you, by the way that you're thinking and the worldview of your life, you are filled with the world's perspective and the worldview, and you've, you're carrying the mark of the beast instead of the mark of the lamb right now. By, by the very actions of your hands, you are living out the mark of the beast, and you're already marked with the mark of the beast on your hands and on your mind just by the way you're living your life and the things that you're filling your mind with. And, and the call of revelation is you don't have to stay there. 
The call of Revelation is you don't have to stay there. That you can literally move from being marked with the mark of the beast, that your mind is so filled with the world's worldview and your hands are so filled with doing actions that are sinful and against the kingdom of God, that you can be marked not with the mark of the beast, but you can be marked with the mark of the lamb. And so in Revelation chapter 14, let me read this quote before I read this. It's a G.K. Beale says this, the forehead represents ideological commitments and the hands, the practical outworkings of that commitment. Revelation 14 says this, and then I'll, I'll land the plane here. Revelation 14 says, this is right after, he says, and his number is 666. Revelation 14 says this, Then I saw the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him were 144,000. We talked about that earlier in the series. Uh, that 144,000 represents an innumerable amount of people from every tribe and every nation and every tongue. And who had, who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. Now, you think that was with a Sharpie marker? You think that, you know, that's like written there, like visibly? Or do you think that's symbolic? Of that they're, they're so filled with a worldview and a perspective that, that they're marked with the mark of the Lamb and the mark of the Father instead of being marked with the mark of the beast. And so in your notes, you can just write this down. Which mark are you wearing by your thoughts and your actions? Which mark are you wearing? Are you wearing the mark of the beast? Are you, are, are you putting all of your hope in things other than Jesus? Or are you wearing the mark of the lamb? Is, is God so shaping the way you think and view the world? And are you doing the things of God in such a way that your hands are marked by the mark of the lamb? I want to pray and I want to give you an opportunity to respond this morning before we sing together. Bow your heads with me. Father, we... We just come to you this morning and we pray that you would help us to see the book of Revelation as a whole, but, but particularly this chapter within Revelation with, with new light, with new insight. May your Holy Spirit reveal to us the, the truth of your word that is not for something in the future, but is for today, for us to hear right now. And Lord, I pray that you would uh, help us to recognize and have uh, the ability to see if we are being marked by anything other than the mark of the Lamb. Lord, I, I pray for those who are here today who haven't yet decided to step across that line and make you Lord of their life. And they are, they're so consumed with the, the thinking and the perspective and the ideology and the worldview that, that somehow hope and joy and peace can be found in this world, can be found in the things of this world, can be found in political governments, can be found in systems and, and politics. Lord, I, I pray that you would help those that have put all of their hope in those things to understand and recognize that those things are limited, that they are just a cheap mockery of, of your kingdom and your nation, and that they would put their hope in you and their trust in you. And Lord, those who, who have decided to follow you, decided to bow their knee and make you Lord of their life, and, and yet there's areas that they haven't surrendered 
There's areas where their hands are not living out kingdom purposes, but their hands are living out the beast's purposes. God, I pray that you would help us to repent, help us to turn to you this morning, help us to put our hope and our trust only in you. God, that you would help us as a church, as a local body here, to never be any, to never point anyone to anything other than Jesus. And God, that you would give us the, the strength and the power to trust in you, even when it's hard. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing a song that just talks about nothing else. And, um, and, and it's, it's easy for us to sing this song, nothing else, nothing else. But I, I just, as you sing the words of this song, I want you to just do some heart some searching. Just say, Lord, am I putting my hope in anything other than you? And, and if, if, you, if you discover that you are, that these altars are open and, and you can pray. Um, there's nothing magical about these altars, but sometimes it's good to step out and, and just say, Lord, I'm, I'm going to make a tangible commitment. I, I want to say this. This is not do you struggle with this. This is how are you doing struggling with this, all right? This is not a one-time decision. Tomorrow morning, you'll have to wake up and you'll have to decide again to follow the Lamb and not the beast. But let's stand together. Let's sing. And if, if, you're, if you're singing these words, but you're not living this life, if you're, if you're singing these words, but you're not really living in a way that you're saying, Lord, everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. My, my life, my thoughts, my actions, I don't want to be marked with the mark of the beast. I want to be marked with the mark of the lamb. If, if you're here and you want to pray, we're going to just sing that chorus one more time and, and then we'll close the service. But I, I just don't want you to walk out missing an opportunity to be marked with a different mark this morning. Daniel chapter 7. After he saw all of these beasts come out of the sea and after we're told about these beasts and his vision, he, he says this. Verse 13 of chapter 7. He says, As my vision continued that night, I saw someone like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. And he approached the Ancient One and was led into his presence. And he gave authority and honor and sovereignty over all the nations of the world. So that people of every race and nation and language would obey him. And his rule is eternal. It will never end. And his kingdom will never be destroyed. This is the one who marks us. This is the one who we choose to follow today. And as you go from here, may you be marked with your mind and with your hands by the way you think and by the way you live this week so that people know who you are marked with. Go in his peace. You're dismissed.